Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons, certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with multi-passionate women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and managing life in the modern world. Hi. Uh, Oh, I am so excited about this episode and I'm really grateful as always to be with you today. I also feel like I should introduce these like the Tiger King (laughs) show now (laughs) saying, hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Um, Let me know if you watched that and what you think. I watched it. I didn't personally love it. I do think that it's hysterical, though, with all of the memes and cultural humor that's going on around it. Um, It's definitely having a moment. So I'm excited to talk about um, this episode with you because Jackie Randall is a dear friend of mine, and I want to tell you a quick little story about how I met Jackie. So I met her years ago at a conference, and we we didn't even really talk at this conference, but somehow we fell into each other's circles via social media and the internet and everything. And she emailed me out of the blue one day. This was when I was just getting started with my, um, with my business. And she said, Hey, I went on your website and I have a few suggestions. Would you be interested in hopping on a zoom call and letting me help you out? literal angel and we have been working together ever since she is just one of the sweetest people that I that I have in my life and she is incredibly talented um if you want proof just go to my website she's done all of the the magic that is there and is just so creative um Jackie is a graphic designer and a web, web designer with an interest in storytelling and community building, both in the greater Philadelphia area and virtually through social media. She's the host of Your Art Matters part, podcast and the community manager for Ladies Wine and Design in Philly, and she is a true free spirit. Jackie is at home with a room full of strangers and is never afraid to fly solo which is something I love about her. Her warm nature and big heart makes her a close friend the moment you meet her. She's passionate about life and never says no to a great adventure. So we really dive into a lot of things that you probably wouldn't expect in this conversation. We talk about body talk throughout her life because of her height. Jackie's very tall and the appreciation for health and being physically able. Um, We get into her personal experience of dealing with sickness and devastating news, what to say and what not to say to people who are going through mourning and suffering. Something that I was really curious about because we all have these circumstances that we catch ourselves in sometimes where we just don't really know how to comfort somebody in really, um, really, really awful times. 
how to support in those times. And then also Jackie's desire to heal her body due to personal health struggles and discovering her passion that led her to her career. We also talk about the power of being committed and working hard to prepare for the next step. She is just a total inspiration. I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. I had a blast recording it. I love her. And we just had some real fun girl talk and just got down in the dirt with a lot of these topics that we just don't really talk about that much as women. So I hope you enjoy. I hope that you're taking care of yourself and feeling supported, feeling connected. I'm sending you so much love. Please stay well and enjoy the episode. Just take us back to your first body awareness moment. So that first moment where you really realized, hey, I'm in a body and this kind of means something in the culture that I'm living in. Yeah, so I don't know if I can pinpoint a particular moment, but I am tall. I'm currently 6'1", and I've kind of been tall my whole life, and I have a twin brother that's taller than me. My parents were both tall, and I didn't really know any different until I went to school. I was just much taller than other kids. Um, definitely taller than the boys in elementary school and all of that and realizing something different, but it wasn't bad. It was just, oh, like I can just see over you or something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. Was that in middle school? Um, I think I noticed my height. Yeah. Getting taller in like middle school. Cause I remember, there was uh, a friend of mine in kindergarten. She like transferred in and she was so much taller than the rest of us. She's not as tall now. I mean, she still is, but um, I don't think I felt as tall in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, you're all kind of different heights. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, like middle school, you know, as you're starting to like, go through like puberty and everything like that. And um I mean, I was like flat as a board, but like I was tall and everything. So, um, but I, I mean, I even remember uh, for eighth grade when we graduated into, you know, before we went to high school, they had me lead like the graduation procession because I was tall and I could handle myself and all of that. And people thought I was like valedictorian or something, but I just like knew, you know, they trusted me to like, you know, lead the processional because I was tall and I, you know handle things but yeah <laughs> that's so interesting so do you feel like it almost became like this identity piece for yourself yeah yeah actually um I I did this embodiment workshop recently and you know we were talking about our bodies and um how we see them and how they see us and all of this and more recently I came to the realization that like I recognize my body on a more regular basis because people ask me about it mm. they ask me how tall I am mm. on almost a daily basis so That's... then I have to be like you know whether I'm realizing it or not like I'm being looked at um which I don't think a lot of people think about that um but it definitely is always do you play basketball have you played basketball do you model you know all of these different things and I don't know if other people get asked random questions about themselves as they walk through life, but I don't 
it's honestly like unless I don't leave my house like almost a daily thing that I'm asked about my height which I mean is a thing but yeah that's fascinating so when you were in middle school is is that when you started getting those questions like more comments about your height and then it just kind of stayed with you through the rest of your life or do you feel like it started coming up at another time um yeah I think because I I don't remember I always I'm always asked you know, even like my relatives, you know, whose kids are tall and they're like, oh, like, when did you start realizing? Because I, I have a cousin that uh, she's in her early, gosh, I don't think she's 19, she's 19 or 20. Um, and she's about my height. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't remember like when I hit six feet or, you know, when I was around there, but um, I was perceived to be older because I was taller. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I do actually re- remember a specific moment. Um, I was really good at soccer when I was younger. And when I was 10 or 11, they wanted to bump me up to the 14-year-olds, like the 13 and 14-year-olds, because I was really good. Um, and also I was tall and everything. But like mentally, I wasn't there. Like that's a, sh- that's a big jump from 10 to oh, 14. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I was good at the sport and I was tall. And, you know, again, like, not just that, but just in general, I've always been, you know, oh, like, you know, thinking that I'm older than I am. So, um, you know, even visiting my mom's college for one of her reunions, someone thought that I was a student there and I was like 14. I was like, I don't know. (laughs) So interesting. So how, how were you feeling at that time in your life when you really started associating this with your identity and just kind of recognizing that this is this is a conversation topic that's probably going to be with me for the rest of my life possibly how how did that make you feel I think that I've always been comfortable in my height I have a good posture I've never slouched I've never been self-conscious about it but I do realize that it, I am, I guess, quote unquote, bigger than other girls. And that was a weird um, kind of conversation to have because like proportionally I am, but um, I don't know, you know, like I, I could never really share clothing with friends or Mm. shoes or anything like that. Um, So it was an interesting thing because, you know, if we had sleepovers or something, you know, like I couldn't just, you know, like play along. Um, so I would recognize like that there was a difference between me and the other girls um, in that way. Um, That's so interesting. Do you feel like you embraced that or do you feel like it's something that you kind of struggled with? I think I embraced it because I, again, like I was never really self-conscious in that way. I think I was, I was a very shy kid. So my self-consciousness was just me being shy and feeling awkward and stuff. But at home, you know, my mom is six feet tall and she always just, you know, she'd wear heels, she'd wear, you know, I was never um, shown anything other than, like, her confidence, um, and, you know, my dad, uh, he was always just so supportive in anything, you know, like, you don't need to wear, 
you don't need to wear makeup, all of these different things. Um, so I think that like I grew up in a house where we were aware of our appearance and everything, but it was never something like um, having to worry about that, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that's so interesting. And you have a twin brother, which I think is is really fascinating because yeah. from a height perspective, that's, I mean, your height is something you physically cannot change. And so yeah. sharing that experience with somebody in your life on a very deep connected level, what, what was that like? I mean, that definitely played into the, the comfort, you know, he was always a little taller than me. Um, actually, you know, when we would have friends over, we would sometimes like shrink down, like when we we're cleaning <laughs> and be like, what can they see on this level? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> literally I'm like did I dust that do, do they see under there but um <laughs> I love uh, that <laughs> yeah uh but you know with him it was we're very different in in certain ways you know I went to school for art he went you know he's an engineer um but yeah we could connect on that uh the height you know both being athletic uh and just kind of having our you know each other's backs and yeah, it was, I don't know. The question of like being a twin is always fun because I don't know anything, you know, I don't know life any other way. Right. But yeah, I'm grateful for it, I guess. Yeah. I love that. It sounds like some, it sounds like this is something that you celebrated throughout your life, just being taller and mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. I just want to make sure I'm understanding the story correctly correctly or, or accurately rather but it just sounds like it's something that was a difference in terms of your social circle that mm -hmm. you that you were able to embrace and really just celebrate rather than feel like an outsider or feel um isolated or, or you know disconnected from your friends yeah yeah I mean I honestly, I always say this, but I never know how tall I, I never notice how tall I am until I see a photo where I'm not shrinking down, mm -hmm. you know, like that sorority squat just to like mm -hmm. get into the same, like into the frame with my friends. Um, I've actually had friends say, don't squat down. Like you don't need to do that, mm. you know, when we're taking photos, but yeah, it was never you know, there's some benefits to it. You know, I've always got like the selfie stick arm and like all of that, but, uh, I love it. This yeah, is, I've, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. So how, how was your relationship with food growing up? So that, that was interesting because I was a, such a snacker. Mm. Still, I'm such a snacker. And I think, you know, our generation, I'm 28. Um, we kind of grew up with that whole like processed snacked packaged foods on the go, all of that. You know, I'm a twin. I was in sports. I have a younger sister with special needs. And, you know, my parents were like, oh, you, like, this is great. We can just get snacks and all of that. Um, convenient. Can the convenience totally. And, um, but with sports and everything, I just kind of, you know, like ate to fuel and all of that. Um, but I, I feel like as I got older, I started to realize, you know, that I couldn't, you know, like eat 
a ton, you know, like it, um, you know, if I got injured, I would notice, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to be burning that off or something. Um, but I don't know if this is like what you want to get into, but I did feel, actually, I don't know. Are you like going to, am I like breaking? Are you going to cut like, am I breaking like the convo or? No, no. Is this? Go for it. Okay. Um, Cause I didn't know what you're like, what you're editing or. Oh yeah. Just whatever. Okay. Um, I can get into like, my mom was always pretty thin growing up and she would always like, we'd always have so much, you know, always like lots of extra servings and all of that. Just um, talk. Yeah. yeah. So your mom okay. was really thin growing up? Yeah. So my mom, uh, I don't know if she's going to like, I don't know if she would care that this is on the podcast. Nah, whatever. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, my, with like my relationship with food growing up, like it was always there. Um, my dad had, he was overweight and, um, not that he would kind of like project that, but he'd always just be cautious of, of eating, you know, like, um, not to eat too much, but he, you know, definitely not in a restrictive way either, just like eat till you're full or anything like that. And my mom, she was like very tall and thin, um, growing up and, you know, her friend's parents would always try to feed her, you know, a ton, you know, like they'd be like, Oh, like you've got to, you know, put some meat on those bones or whatever. And so growing up, uh, she loved to cook. So we'd always have, you know, like our family dinners and everything like that. And, but portion control is something that I don't know if we were really taught. We were just kind of like, oh yeah, just eat whatever. And luckily like we're eating good food. So like I'll eat the whole thing of broccoli or peas or whatever. But sometimes I wouldn't like know when to stop. Mm. So uh, yeah. And I feel like I still you know, like I would get, I would do the whole, like eat till I was full or eat because it was there, whether or not my body totally wanted it. Like, I'd be like, Oh, I'm so full. I'm going to go like pass out. So yeah, I don't, I think that's all of it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, and I do think it's an interesting conversation because I hear so often, and I'm sure you do too, where we kind of associate how much we should be eating with our height. And I think that just yeah. like all of these BS um, calculators and things that are, are out there online that are just like so, oh so awful of, you know, BMI and how much you should eat depending on how much you weigh and how tall you are and all these things. Like I remember being in my eating disorder and just seeking those out. And they were like my Bible, like, this is how much I should, this is how much I need to eat because I'm this tall. And I remember yeah. going through those calculators and I'm five, six. And I remember sometimes plugging in five, seven, and then I'd second guess myself and I'd say, well, what if I'm five, five and just being so restrictive around that. So it's, yeah. it's interesting the height conversation as it relates oh. to our relationship with food. Do you identify with that at all? Yeah, actually, so when I was 16, I went to my doctor, and when I was 16, I was running cross-country. I was probably in the best shape of my life. I 
can't, I don't remember how much I weighed. Um, and I don't really want to throw numbers out there, but I remember getting weighed at the doctor and on the chart for six foot six one, somehow I was overweight, but I was strong. Like I've got, you know, like long legs with muscle and everything like that. And I was like, how, like, why, how can you tell a 16 year old girl who is extremely athletic? I was running varsity cross country that I'm overweight based off of a number and a chart. Like, so that's interesting. You were 16 years old. So what did that do to your mind? Like, what were, how did, how did it make you feel? I think I just kind of dismissed it because I, like, I knew the reality of that, you know, like I knew that, oh, like I could, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Or <laughs> just pissed off. Honestly, wow. Because I still think about it now. It's, it's funny that you can think of all like the few negative moments that someone can pinpoint things about you mm. and like focus on that versus like the thousands of like wonderful things that people can say you know like I can still saying it right now see myself in the doctor's office and it plays no part in my life now but I'm yeah I'm glad that I in a way had the I guess the the confidence or the strength to see that moment and not crumble at my doctor who you know saying that to me wow that Um, that's amazing. And, and I just, I think it's especially at such an impressionable age where situations like that are really catastrophic for so many young women that, that and men. Literally, yeah. That could so- send someone into a spiral if they're not, you know, in the right headspace or. Absolutely. So you were 16 years old. So where do you, where do you credit your resilience and your confidence to handle a situation like that? Because from what you've already shared, it sounds like even from a really early age, elementary and middle school, you just have always had this confidence about you and feeling self-assured and independence almost. So where do you feel like that comes from? I think that, I think that my independence and uh, resilience uh, in general kind of stem from, you know, my home life, my personal life. My dad had gotten cancer when I was 10, almost 11, I think. And, you know, I have a younger sister with special needs and I took on a lot of responsibility at a young age, uh, which I, it's an unfortunate situation to, you know, credit that too. But, you know, I really grew up fast and I, didn't worry about the little things, you know, like there was at that such a young age, I had so many bigger things to think about. So, you know, caring what people thought, like I did actually care a lot what people thought, but, you know, there were bigger things on my mind than, you know, like something that my doctor said or um, how I looked. Like, I I think I was such a, a shy kid I just wore whatever. I always had my my hair up in a ponytail, you know. I and I was just like into sports and all of this. Um, I mean, I went through different phases, but I just always thought about everything else that was going on, mm-hmm. and so that like kind of like BS of like every day. I mean, I still cared about all of that. Like, you know, if my friend said something weird to me, it made me upset or whatever. But 
I just knew that there was other things going on. Um, yeah. And I, and I feel like that really has carried me through like that independence, resilience, confidence, um, just sometimes somehow it just kind of like got ingrained in me. So you were 11 when your dad got sick. Yeah. 10 or 11. I think I was somewhere around there. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind sharing what that experience was like? So I, I only remember like bits and pieces. I remember when my parents told me like my dad, it was like laying in their bed and, you know, I didn't really know what cancer was, but they just said, you know, like daddy's got cancer. And I just remember like, like diving into like his armpit, you know, like I'd always just kind of like, that's where I would kind of cozy up um, and like crying. And I, he went to university of Penn. Um, I'm in South Jersey outside of Philly and they have like an amazing program there. And I have like flickers of memories of that building, no different floors. Um, I don't really remember a lot, but he, it was, you know, for him, he was 45 when he got diagnosed, you know, with like three young kids mm. and it, you know, I mean, I, all of our lives were just completely changed at that moment. And thankfully he was able to get through it in like a year and a half, but then he was basically disabled from that point on, you know, like all of the stem cell transplant and chemo and radiation kind of just like, uh, kind of just attacked his body. And, you know, thankfully we, you know, we had him, you know, like he was still alive, but he was kind of not, uh, who he was. And, um, I think a, a lot of that story too plays into like how I see like health in the body in that, because I saw how, and he even said this too, you know, like how important it is to take care of your body because in a moment when, you know, that's all you've got going, you know, that's like the home that you're in, um, seeing the importance of strength, um, you know, like he had to have, he had a bad infection and he had to have uh, a blow the knee amputation mm. and that probably could have been avoided if he had, you know, better muscle and all of that strength in his legs and seeing him having to like learn how to walk again mm. and like from an outsider it's like I can appreciate a, like being like physically able so much more oh yeah and it's something that I think of you know anytime I would go hiking or anything like that it's you know like I'm able to climb you know mm. I'm able to be out here and I I love taking photos and you know I would send him photos because you know he's not going to be what he wouldn't have been able to see that um you know thankfully he did have a fairly active life he sailed all around the world he was a navigator um he went to Merchant Marine Academy so he actually saw a lot of the world more so than I think anyone else um and we have like so many photographs but uh you know, cancer hitting him, like, I didn't get to see that time with him, you know, like, he had a whole life before me. And then I, unfortunately, only really saw him at home in, a, in you know, his recliner, um, or like his motorized wheelchair or something like that. 
so yeah to kind of circle around the whole thing it's I feel like seeing that whole experience and his but also like his resilience through that like you would always see him smiling and laughing and you know full of life despite all of that I feel like just being around him that has also like absorbed into me and then reflects out wow yeah wow (laughs) and it's it's you sharing that I mean it's just so obvious because I know you as well on a personal level and just that sense of adventure and curiosity and confidence and resilience and not only seeing that mirrored from your dad in his own life, but also mm-hmm. being in a position in your own life where you're really facing what matters in a mm-hmm. in a really, really significant way. Mm-hmm. In, an, in a way that most people don't get to see life, you know, and just yeah. the importance of things. And so, and when did he pass? Uh, it was four years ago, September. So mm. about 12 years after, you know, he was in remission for 12 years and then it came back and we didn't know it could come back. So there was about seven or eight months where he had the cancer and we didn't know. We just thought that, you know, he wrestled when he was younger. He was all over the ships. He had a you know, amputation and we thought his body was just kind of, you know, like kind of falling apart he had gotten a lot shorter he was about 510 when he passed away and he was 62 at his tallest so his body was really kind of like crunching down um but that was really scary because you know obviously you know the moments when it really relapsed you know he could have gone at any moment we didn't know but thankfully with like the power of you know, medical research and pen and everything, they were able to get him from 100% stage four mantle cell lymphoma to three, like zero three percent in a matter of months. Wow. And so then he was able to, you know, be at home. We got a grant for some pill that was like $125,000 for like (sighs) free. It was crazy. I don't know. I don't really remember all the details. I just remember, like, I remember specific numbers and he was able to, like, be home. And, um, you know, there were some tough times in there. Like, I was, like, his at-home health aide. Like, I would clean his pick line and all of this different stuff. Um, but even that, like, you know, understanding, like, how fragile the body can be. Like, I couldn't go out and stay over anywhere because I had to come home and, like, clean out his pick line. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, one night, like, my car broke down and, I don't even think that Uber or Lyft or whatever existed. And I was like freaking out. And like my, I could like hear my dad's voice in the phone, like, you know, and I was like, it's going to be okay. I'm going to get home. It's, you know, but anyways, um, so yeah, he passed, I want to say like four or five months after that, but, uh, it was, you know, he was at home he was in his sleep. It was peaceful. He wasn't in a hospital or anything. And I like the memory I have because I wasn't home I was at a wedding was like me like I can still see it we don't you know we don't own that house anymore you know but I can still see everything and he was like sitting in his his recliner and he was like 
um, you look beautiful, have fun, mm. don't drink too much. Mm. <laughs> and because uh, I was, you know, going to a friend's wedding and, you know, we had the whole shuttle from hotel to venue and all of that set up. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. I'm so sorry. Thanks. Yeah. I don't but think I knew. I, think, I don't think I knew that about you, just that whole story. Yeah. It's, it's hard because it's, it's not, I was 24 when he passed and it's not exactly something that most 24 year olds go through, but in a weird way, and I don't know how else to describe it. I think in that next year or two, like I could count on two hands, the two hands, the amount of people that lost a parent. Wow. And I had never experienced anything like that. And I didn't have, I'm not good with death even now. I'm like, I don't know. But I finally understood going through it myself, what people might actually feel or need. And at the same time, I almost felt like I was, had a weird different identity with it. Cause I was, suddenly I, you know, had a parent who had died and anytime someone else's parent would die or pass away, you know, I'm like being harsh on the language, but um, I would like reach out and say something and a lot of times people were accepting of it. Other times people were still going through it, but I was pretty much like, I didn't know what to do. I still don't know what to do. Like mm-hmm. people are going to try and say stuff, do stuff, whatever, like just feel your feelings. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't remember what else I said, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that this is such an interesting conversation. And I, again, I'm, so sorry for your loss and I'm I'm just really grateful that you're sharing this story for everyone yeah but one of the things that I feel like comes up the older that we get is that hard conversation of death Mm -hmm. yeah and just being in situations with friends or even colleagues or acquaintances where you know that somebody's relative is is sick or someone's past or maybe they're even sick yeah and just not really knowing your place and I feel I've absolutely experienced that I feel like this is one of those adulting moments where it's like where's the guidebook on that you know where how do you know how to navigate that and so would you mind is there do you have any suggestions if somebody is going through that if let's just say that they do have a friend whose whose relative is sick or an acquaintance or just somebody in their life who has gotten this really devastating news what do you think would be the best way to approach a conversation with that person it's hard because I I remember like writing something and I would you know, shared out. I had this like website that I made after, you know, well after my dad passed of like navigating this kind of stuff. And I would kind of like prescribe it to people, even though I feel like it's going to be a different thing for everyone. But I think for one, like getting off of social media or like the internet you know, not Googling things. Um, I just, I think that, you know, going through any kind of transition like this or a period 
where there's a lot of intense emotions, there's potential loss or grief or anything is like knowing that it's not going to be linear and it's not going to be any kind of timeline that anyone else might have. Um, I specifically remember not feeling grief or, I mean, I was very obviously very upset when my dad passed away, but I had this like sense of relief that he wasn't in pain anymore. Mm. And I actually started a relationship pretty soon after that. And I think it was almost a gift from him in a way because I was happy Mm. and I didn't have the time to really process that. Um, and like to go into the specifics of that, like I matched with someone on a dating site the morning or the, the afternoon before he passed. And then like started talking to them like that a couple of days later. I remember that like he kind of started with some thing about, uh, you know, oh, like we've got this storm coming in this weekend. <laughs> I was like, I don't really mean to bring this down. My dad just died. And I can't talk, but it was a date. I think it was like coffee meets bagel when you had like a week to respond. So he's like, here's my number. Text me when you're ready. But again, like that's something that you don't like, like imagine matching with someone on a dating site and you're like, sorry, like my dad just died. That literally happened. Mm. And that he was great. And he gave me his number and he's like, you know, take your time. And it was a few weeks before I actually met up with him. But, um, you know, like that was in a way, like I was able to be a rock for, you know, my mom and my brother yeah. because I wasn't home. They were both home with my dad when it all happened. So, um, it, you know, when it finally was time for me to, when I, when the grief in the morning really hit, it was seven or eight months after that. Mm -hmm. And by that time, my mom and my brother were in a different place and they were almost able to support me then. So yeah, I think that's something I, I didn't really expect was like, I felt all of it obviously up, fr- up front, but then it kind of like washed away and I just felt like he wasn't there. Like, I don't know where he would have been otherwise, but um, yeah. So just knowing that it's not going to be how it is in the movies. Um, everyone's, unique experience is going to be you know everyone's experience is going to be unique to them um and it's it's can be really hard it's there's going to be moments where you don't know it's going to hit you you know I remember the first time I would always call my dad on my lunch break and I remember the first time I went to go dial my dad and I couldn't you know Mm -hmm. I think I did because I think I could hear his voicemail or something um but even still now it's been four years and like a song will play on the radio and it'll still get me, you know? And I think that there's, you know, the period, like the the bereavement time, you get time off from work, you get all, you know, there's that mass flood at first, but you know, just like continuing to like take care of yourself after that. I think I haven't like taken as like, I finally started taking better care of myself, Mm -hmm. like as, I started to realize like the effect that it had on me mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. What were some yeah. things that people said to you during that time when you were grieving and just going through the process, even when your dad was still alive, what were some things that people said that really 
pissed you off and just made you feel like that was the wrong thing to say? And then what were some things where you felt like that's what I needed? Like that's how I needed to be supported? Yeah. Um, I always think that everyone has like the best intentions, but again, sometimes things are like, they aren't what you want to hear. Um, I know that, you know, like food choice and diet and all of these things can help, you know, in a preventive way when it, you know, but when someone is probably in the last few months of their lives, I had someone that I didn't really know, um, you know, sending me messages about, you know, cutting certain things out of my dad's diet and all of that. I was like, he's been through so much. Like I just, you know, let him drink his soda and his you know crappy chips and everything like that because that's what made him happy and you know it's at this point what's it gonna do you know um I think that again you know people can read stuff they can see stuff and I know for a fact or at least by reading things that some of these changes do help but at a certain point you know like his like what made him happy was whatever he was doing. Um, so that kind of bothered me. And um, I think that sometimes people don't always understand uh, the, I guess, intensity of some different feelings or pains that he would have. Like he had a lot of ghosts or like phantom pains. Oh yeah. And so um, especially specifically like with um, his leg and everything like that. So there were some different people that, um, you know, if he wasn't feeling well or something, um, you know, maybe questioning that. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of like, you're not in his body, you know, like don't, don't really, uh, have the room to say something like that. Um, and then what were some things that you felt like that, that was a really intentional way of just being there or whether that was through a word choice or a note or, I, I just feel like having that knowledge on hand to be able to support somebody who's going through Mm -hmm. that is something that I personally am constantly searching for. And I feel like a lot of people who haven't been through this might feel the same too. So does that make sense? Yeah. I think some comforting things that I think really show like the like beauty of humanity, I think is like the support in communities. So Uh, My dad uh, was very active in our church and they were so supportive throughout his entire, the first time he was sick and after that. So um, sometimes people would just bring food over, you know, and that was like one last meal that my mom had to make. Or I remember the sweetest card. My mom is a teacher and um, one of her students like wrote this really sweet card to my dad and like the whole class signed it. Mm -hmm. And like that just like made his day. And, um, just like the simple things and like just people checking in or something like that. Um, I think that, you know, he's not someone that was ever on social media or anything like that. So the phone calls, the in-person visits, those small gestures like mean a lot. And I think that, you know, if you, you know, like time is, that's one thing that I think that I wish I had back in, in certain ways is whether it's five minutes or five hours. Um, I see that now, like I, my younger sister, she has um, Down syndrome and autism and she lives in a group home 
and I'll visit her just for five minutes, like on my way home. Cause I know that sometimes she doesn't really, she's nonverbal. So I don't actually know what she thinks, but you know, for me, like just seeing her for five minutes, like no matter what I'm doing, like it's 20 minutes out of my way to go and see her. Like that means so much. And I know that when my dad was sick, like, you know, I was still living at home and just that extra time, like before going to work, like, you know, I know my brother would at the end of every night, you know, watch TV with my dad for 30 minutes because, you know, when you're living like in a fast paced world, you know, you're trying to do all of these different things, like the check-ins and everything, they don't come maybe as naturally, or maybe they do, but, um, you know, if you have the opportunity to take a few extra seconds to like send a message, Mm. call someone or anything like that, I think like that, those were the things that really like meant a lot, like the smallest, simplest of gestures. Yeah. I love that. And I, I think that is such a powerful thing to keep in mind. And I am so curious knowing that and Mm -hmm. having this incredibly significant experience in your life that's really shaped the next chapter and Mm -hmm. probably the rest of your life and who you are as a person in so many ways, I'm sure. Knowing that time is so precious and how you spend it and doing all of these things that you just mentioned, how has that played a role in your life today where sometimes that can feel overwhelming you know like I feel like yeah. we're, we're also in this juxtaposition of feeling like oh my gosh am I not reaching out enough or am I sending or you know I, I just how to know what to be to everyone that type of feeling yeah yeah I've been I've been thinking about this a lot because I think that while I can definitely be one that like is always you know reaching out or trying to make plans or trying to fill my calendar I also then like will freeze when it comes to like writing a thoughtful card or something Mm. you know like the words like I can cry at some of the like lovely birthday cards or even like a, a card that you sent me last year it's like you know, all of these things, like, I, I think for a while, because of the situation as I was in, like, my presence was the thing, I wasn't writing, or thinking about ways to, like, I, my sister doesn't, my sister's my favorite person in the world, she can't talk, and I don't, I can't articulate what she means to me, to her, um, if that makes sense, or, like, I would never, you know, write, like, things, And more recently, like I've wanted, I literally like have cards that I'm going to be like writing and sending out to people just to like, because I've received so much, you know, like Mm -hmm. not everyone has the opportunity, not the opportunity, but the circumstance to express themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to other people. And more recently, I've been wanting to just do that for no reason, Mm. you know, like why wait for something to happen to tell someone how you feel? Mm-hmm. Because again, like sometimes you don't, things happen, you know, like I didn't know my dad was going to die that day. Like, <laughs> so. Um, yeah. Like, do you feel overwhelmed by that at all? Like, where do you find the boundary and the balance with that, with feeling, because I can, I can see how 
that could easily spiral into, oh my gosh, I've got to reach out to everybody because time is so precious and feeling the weight of that. Yeah. I, it's definitely something I struggled a lot with when, you know, after that, because I realized that I was spending so much time, um, trying to do a million other things that I wasn't spending the right time with the right people, you know, Mm. like I, you know, at that, at, at that point in my life, you know, I started my first job, I graduated from college, started my first job. And I finally like had the time and the money to have a social life. So I was like, never home. And I was always like at shows or out with friends or all of these things. So that's one thing, like, you know, it really ate me alive that, you know, I didn't get to talk to my dad about his life. I didn't get to, you know, like learn more about him. But then I realized, I mean, I already lived at home. That's more than a lot of people my age, you know, like, so I think that, yeah, I think that my, the overwhelm definitely sits in all of the time because yeah, I feel like I do a thousand things and I have the best intentions, but all at the same time, like, don't actually follow through with all of that so I think that's kind of answering like I yeah I think about all these things but it might not happen for a while I don't know if that answers your question yeah I think that's very real and very honest I think that's something especially in our culture today that constant feeling of um overwhelm and really being intentional about defining boundaries around your own self-care and checking the people pleasing that goes on in our minds and all of these things because it is so hard to constantly be scrolling and thinking like oh my gosh that's my friend from college I I miss her so much I should reach out and now that I reached out do I have to keep in touch with her and like all of these things and yeah yeah Yeah. do you and yeah I was gonna say like that you touched on the like the whole people pleasing thing like that that was such a problem for me for the longest time. It being like a, a yes sayer and a people pleaser is how, you know, I've, I guess, navigated life in my like early twenties, because in a way, like I was such a shy kid that, um, I mean, I, I grew out of that in high school, but because of, you know, my dad being sick and my sister and all these different things, like once I was actually like an adult, I just said yes to like everything, Mm. you know, and it became so overwhelming. But in a way, it was kind of like, I never had the opportunity to do all of these different things or, you know, know all these different people or anything like that. But then, you know, I um, struggle with anxiety. And a few years ago, I just kind of like hit a rock bottom with that and um, like literally hit like I hit my head and I got a concussion and I had to like kind of be home doing nothing and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go anywhere. And that's really when I started dealing with my anxiety and I was like, Oh my gosh, like I can't drink. So I can't go out with my friends or I can't be, I love live music. I can't go out to shows. Like all of these things I realized like I couldn't do anymore. But then I was like, well, why am I, you know, I, like, I love doing this, but do I really need to go to another show? You know, like Mm -hmm. I, I started to like, then take better care of myself and start to like assess my energy in the world, you know, like, because my health and my brain depended on it. And it was like, like a hit, 
you know, like a jolt of reality, I guess, or yeah. I don't know the phrase. Well, one thing I want to talk about with you that I think is so rich and valuable to this conversation is you are incredibly creative and talented. And not only is that a part of you, it's something that you have filled your life with in a lot of different ways. I mean, you have a podcast, you have a really creative job, you have a an organization that you've built um, that is really you know, the key message is creativity for mm-hmm. other, other women. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about how that's fed into just finding that balance and really bringing that to the forefront of your life in, in, in so many different ways? Yeah. Thank you for all of that. It's funny. I am not finding balance in all of that right now, but I'm recognizing that it's okay. Cause I don't know if balance is really like a thing, but yeah. So my day job is I, I'm a web designer, graphic designer. And in my time outside of work, I have a podcast called your art matters where I speak to friends, peers, people in the community about their journeys in art. Um, you know, kind of like this, you know, from their childhood to where they are now. And that was actually kind of born from like not being able to talk to my dad about his life. I always wanted to interview him about his life. So then I was like, well, I know all of these creative people and there might not be people that would be on other podcasts or whatever. I just wanted a space like you, like to share these conversations for whoever wants to listen to them. And something really fun with that is, was literally like, you know, I'd had a friend that shows up to my door for an interview I hadn't seen since high school graduation or uh, like a professor that, you know, I got to see as a, you know, a peer to peer and not, you know, that relationship. So that's the podcast. And then I am the community manager for the Philadelphia chapter of Ladies Wine Design, which is a global community of uh, female and non-binary creatives um, where we have monthly gatherings, usually six to eight people. And, you know, we talk about different uh, topics. Like we had one on motherhood and balance or um, entrepreneurship or self-care or new beginnings, different things like that. They're not nonprofits, so they're free to attend. And that has been such, you know, like a gift to, to be involved in. And it kind of connects with everything else I do because it blends the work and the play and the, the creativity, the design, and then like the female empowerment, community building, all of, all of the things that I love, all the things, you know, I love, and I love surrounding myself with, because it's so important, I think, to like hold space with each other, especially if we can get it, you know, in person. Um, although I want to explore some virtual like community too, um, just to like, you know, have real conversations like this. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you have always been a creative person or where do you, where do you feel like the, when do you feel like the, um, point in your life of really discovering that was? Yeah, I feel like I kind of. I've always felt creative when I was younger. 
I was always doodling and drawing and stuff like that. I remember, you know, getting like artists of the week or most creative when I was like in kindergarten and all of that. And I had a really amazing art teacher in elementary school that really encouraged me and pushed me. And I think, I mean, that was my, like my favorite part of school, I think, <laughs> was art. And I remember she retired when I was in seventh grade and I, there was an option for eighth grade to like take Spanish one and we'd get like a high school credit. And I was like, I'm taking that because I can't do art with a different teacher. Mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, I remember, I think my parents sent me to like a camp one summer. It wasn't like a, you know, it was like a day, a day camp or something. And I thought it was so cool that they did that. You know, we didn't have, you know, a lot of, you know, extra money and stuff like that. And they signed me up for this. And I remember like making clay frames and little pots and stuff like that. And um, it was cool that they just saw that that's something I would like. And, you know, it's different than just giving me like a pad and paper. Is it so. something that you, um, that you were interested in in college as well? Did you study art? or? Yeah, yeah. So I, I studied graphic design and art history, but What's funny about that is that in high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Like I was like most of us. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I was in all honors and I was, I was like good at math and, you know, different things. But I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do for college. Like, honestly. And I had to take an art class before graduation. And again, like, because I don't know why I just stepped away from art for years and which is not you know, as a creative person, you're like, what? Like, but mm-hmm. I, in school, I just was like, I'm going to take study halls so I can nap and, you know, I'm going to take different things. So when it came time to take this art class, my dad was like, don't take something that everyone can do. Like challenge yourself, take a class. that's different that you're going to learn something. And there was this calligraphy lettering and printmaking class and all, and like the description was really cool. So I was like, all right, I'm going to take that. And it was awesome. Like we, I had a really amazing teacher and we were doing like all sorts of product projects and different mediums, like silk screening and like uh, carving rubber stamps and all of this different thing. And we had a project where I had, we all had to redesign book covers. Oh, and cool. Yeah. So our teacher, her cousin was an author. So she just brought a big box of his books and so we had to pick a book read a you know a little bit and redesign a book cover and so then her cousin was going to come in and ask us about you know why we did what we did and all of this and I was so nervous because like this is a professional like you know all of this stuff and <laughs> I I still like I, I get nervous with like public speaking I'll turn I'll start sweating and turn red and all of that and so you know, we're all getting ready. I'm like, I'm next. I'm like getting nervous. And he looks at mine and he's like, I get it. Like this. Yeah. And then he just like moved on. And I was like, what? Like, I just, I didn't, I didn't say anything. Cause he just kind of like moved along and like everyone else, like I'm the only one that he didn't ask for like an in-depth explanation. And so at the end of the class, he had to pick like his favorite book cover um, of each of the books and for the book I chose like he picked mine and he said I actually really don't like the cover that the publisher chose and like I would put this on the book like right now oh 
And I was like, cool. Wow. Like, you know, like, I mean, some iteration of that. I think there was like the concept, because I don't know if he would want like a colored pencil, you know, like a little illustration, but still I was like, wow, like, that's really cool. And after that class, my teacher pulled me aside and she was like, I've kind of been like watching you and have you ever considered graphic design for school? And I was like, I don't know what that is, but if you see something in me, like, sure. And so I went home and I, cause I was like graphic design, like designing graphics. I don't know. And so I went home and like Googled it or whatever. And I was like, all right, cool. This looks good. Um, and so then my teacher put me in like all, cause it was my junior year. So I was like, you know, senior year, you have to start putting your portfolio together for art school, which is like daunting. Cause you're like art school. Yeah. I don't know. But she put me into advanced art classes and like a class to learn Photoshop and Illustrator and all of that. And I was like, I guess I'm doing this. I guess I'm going to go to art school. Wow. Um, that has yeah. that had to have been so freeing and validating to yeah. get that type of feedback because I can absolutely relate. I mean, I, I think most of us can at that point in life you're kind of just swimming like a duck, you know, like you're pedaling really fast underwater, but your head is above and you're just kind of waiting for somebody to call you out and say, yeah, tell you what to do. Say, Hey, I think you'd be good at this. And yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like I, that was like a saving that, that was that moment, like saved my life because, you know, I, I, you know, I took loans out for college and everything, but I, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. And I see that happening so often where, you know, a lot of people go into school like undeclared or anything. Cause they don't, they don't know. So you know, many like, people. That's, that's a lot of pressure to put on someone's shoulder when you're 17 or 18 to like pick the path that you're going to thro- either have to pursue for the rest of your life, or you're going to take on debt. If you have to take, you know, like there's so yeah, much. So. Absolutely. And I mean, most, most majors that are declared are, redeclared you know most people yeah. switch their majors and is that yeah. is that how you say it they're redeclared <laughs> I don't know yeah, but don't they know. use yeah. most people switch their majors if not once you know yeah. twice or three times or sometimes. they don't or they're on or right now you know like they graduated and they don't even do anything mm-hmm. related to what their major was yeah so. well and you are one of the few people who has done something with your major so tell us tell us about that tell us how you made that transition into getting your first job and that kind of like that first step into adulting yeah so I I went to school for graphic design minored in art history and the minor in art history was more I you know got A's in my classes and it was like two extra art history classes to make it my minor but I just like loved learning but um with graphic design Uh, I was in school, I graduated in 2013. And when I was at school, I worked in the, like the computer print lab in the art department. So I was printing out, you know, all of, you know, any projects people needed, large format uh, prints or anything like that, or renting out equipment. And through that, I became friends with a lot of people in the art department. It was very small, like maybe 200 people. And I had a lot of friends when I was a freshman that were seniors, juniors, And the value in that was that like, they would kind of like hit me up after graduation, like give me insight on the market. And so I remember a couple of really good friends of mine, they were a couple years older than me. 
they were, I think this was like 2010 or 2011. And they were like, you really need to take web classes, like HTML, CSS, all of this, because that is something that like, we're seeing, like we're getting declined job offers because we don't know this. And I was like, all right, taking that like next semester, like HTML, CSS is, you know, that's in my, in my class uh, thing. So yeah, so I, um, took that and I've, I've always been forward thinking like I think in high school I was looking at college internships you know like I'm always like because my thing is like I need to have a job because I'm gonna have loans hitting me six months later so um I really did you know like you think back like MySpace days you know like we're like making our custom you know layouts and live journal and all of that so I feel like because of that like I really kind of had a knack for the coding and everything in the, the web design classes. So um, again, like approaching graduation, I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like there's, at one point I was like, I wanna work in magazines, but then it's like print is dying and like all of this. So um, my senior year, again, you know, we're doing our portfolio classes. I'm really enjoying all of the work I'm doing, but I'm not really seeing anything that's like, standing out of like what I want what do I want to do I'm good at all of this different stuff but I don't know so my spring break I remember you know just there's a design organization called AIGA um Philly was actually the first local chapter it's another organization that I'm, I'm a member of and they have you know exclusive job board and so it was my spring break I was working um and I was looking through the job board and I see junior web designer and I'm like, I don't like that. You know, I was looking at it and I had some web classes and I was like, let me just try applying to this. I debate the most key thing was that it didn't, I didn't need a print portfolio. So we were working on our portfolios that semester, like, you know, these beautiful expensive things that you'd bring into a firm or whatever. Um, we weren't done them yet and I would but I had a few websites designed so I was like I'm gonna apply for this job and it wasn't too far from home it was like 10 or 11 miles from my house so I was like let me apply for this and so I did and then my roommate's boyfriend was visiting and we all went to Atlantic City that night and gambled my first time gambling <laughs> I won like $200 oh on my a gosh on a Grease <laughs> like the movie which is my favorite movie uh slot machine oh like, sweet wow I, mean, I think I think I like I think I like gambled like 20 dollars more or something like that so I like left with 180 and like I'm a poor college student so I was like this is great and I get an email <laughs> the next morning from the marketing director of, of, of like the job saying hey like would you be available for an interview on Friday and I was like yeah so I, I took like the money that I won in Atlantic City that I went out print I didn't really need to print out a portfolio but I did go to you know print out something got a new outfit and all of that and had the interview and to like long story short um that was the first and only job that I applied for mm. um they wound up you know giving me a test a couple of weeks later like I had to make a website page and that was intimidating because I didn't, you know, like know what's going on, but my code was really clean and I wound up getting the job and it was, you know, junior web designer, full-time salary, 
mm. starting five days after graduation and they were like do you want any like time off or anything I'm like nope like <laughs> so they were like uh well then do you want to I was graduating on a Friday and they were like well do you want to come in Monday I'm like maybe Wednesday like so I literally like started working five days after graduation and that was almost seven it's gonna be seven years in May that I've been there wow um I started you know I was a junior web designer and over the years I guess I'm just regular web designer now but I do um so I can code I can do the back-end design I can do front-end design I've done yeah um app front-end do a lot of email email marketing yeah it's like so many different things learned a um, lot like art direction <laughs> creative stuff like um yeah it's and it's I I credit almost that whole thing to a me you know like wanting to like being curious about you know I didn't have to take my friend's advice when they said you need to learn coding mm-hmm. and all of that um and also like me taking a chance on like, uh, you know, I was in school for graph design and like taking a chance on a job title that didn't, you know, wasn't exactly something I was comfortable with, but I was like, I think I can do that. Yeah. Um, Some risks. And then just seeing like the value and like, you know, sticking it out for the long haul of like, I'm learning so much and there's a lot of value in here. It's not always easy. Um, I think that, you know, the whole corporate nine to five um environment can be something that people kind of stray away from but I think there's a lot of value in it um at least you know for a few years you don't need to stick it out for seven like I have but um yeah yeah I I love that and I I love that you just said that too because it is so incredibly valuable to Mm -hmm. have that experience in a big corporation and especially right now where business is just shifting so much on mm-hmm. all different levels. And I think that comparison also is becoming even stronger of yeah. different people's positions and jobs, whether that's working for a company or working for themselves. And so I think that, yeah, it's- yeah you, your story of just committing to something and really carving out the value in this experience so that you can prepare yourself for whatever that next step is I mean that's that's so powerful so yeah yeah I think that I mean like you just said like with titles and stuff and it's really hard to like measure yourself because I know people that are you know do 10 people's you know like they own their own you know design studio or whatever they call it and it's really just them doing about you know 10 different Mm -hmm. things or you know, like what I do could be translated to something else in a different company. It's like really hard to like, um, put that label on yourself. But I mean, as far as the, like the reality of it and like the adulting thing is like the, um, like the comfort, um, and like knock on wood, like the comfort of like the steady paycheck, you know, like I've had to like over the years, you know, like having to like support, help support a household, you know, and you know, helping buy a house and all of these different things. It's like, I like, don't take it for granted. It's like, I'm like, that's one thing I have like gratitude for, you know, is like 
a stable job. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and like, and having like the, like knowing that it's worth whatever, you know, it is for this moment. It might not, you know, it, it might not be as glamorous, you know, like I live at home with my mom, but it's like, you know, like I'm, I am building a foundation, you know, for the future mm-hmm. and, you know, not getting distracted by, and I, like by, you know, the, whatever's on Instagram or whatever looks good or whatever. Um, I definitely know that there's value in going out and like paving your own path, but also like understanding, like at the end of the day, like this is my truth. This is my journey. And like, this is what works for me. And like, if it works, if a different way works for someone else, like that's fine. But for me, like, this is what works. I love that so much. And it just really comes full circle with your whole story too. And just how confident and self-assured you are. And again, that resilience piece that is just so inspiring. So I'm, I'm just so grateful that you have shared that aspect of your life and I'm curious too. So at this point in your life, just with that confidence and resilience piece, where, how how would you describe your body confidence right now and your relationship with your body and food? It's so good right now. Um, Mm, I love that. Yeah. So I, I, so I think one thing that I should like add into this is that um, when I was 20, I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And I don't know if I ever told you that, but would you explain uh, what that is for everyone? I think that means that I have an underactive thyroid. And so I didn't really know what was going on. And I didn't realize that this was a thing that my mom and my aunts had. Um, And I didn't know that I could get diagnosed with it. But um, I just wasn't feeling right in my body and I was having basically like little like anxiety attacks or something. And, um, I got my blood tested and you know, they saw whatever imbalance it was. So when I was 20, I went on Synthroid for my hyperthyroidism and, um, I know that it, it affects your metabolism. It affects a lot of different things. I don't really know all of the right terminology, but, um, it's definitely like over the years, like I've fluctuated in like my weight and how I feel in my body. Um, exercise is something that's so important to me, um, for all of the benefits, but also for kind of keeping weight off. And I've noticed in moments when I don't, um, if I'm, if I don't exercise, I would really kind of beat myself up about it. But, um, like over the past couple of years, I've, I think it was when I got the concussion and then I had, um, the, I had a, like 12 stitches in my leg. Like I had a, um, precancerous like spot that my dermatologist found, like all of these things kept happening that like, were keeping me from physically working out. So then I was like, I would always just like kind of work out to eat instead of like eat to work out. So then I started realizing like what I put in my body and like is so important, what might trigger it, what might inflame it, all, you know, like all of the things that um, I didn't think about before. And also like relative to my metabolism and my thyroid and all of that stuff. So 
like over the past year or so, I've become more interested in healing my body um, and like getting down to like the root causes of things. Like this year, I really want to get into like my hormones and like, you know, trying to help my thyroid in a way that I can kind of step away from, um, you know, maybe what I'm taking or just having a better understanding and like getting in the driver's seat of my health instead of just being a passenger for what the doctors might be telling me or whatever else is going on. And like in that moment is like surrendering to my body and like being comfortable with it, however it is. And like, I had really like beautiful moments of like the softness of my body, you Mm. know, like the skin I'm in, um, not needing to be so hard on it. And like the value of like, you know, what's going to feel better on any particular night, like a really hard spin class or going home and like making tea and like watching Netflix and like feeling relaxed, you know, like I can wake up the next morning of either of those events and like feel good mm. but it's like assessing like what I need in that day because like sometimes I'm driving home and I've already like you know scheduled a, a spin class on my phone and then I just like cancel it even though I'm not really supposed to you know I don't get charged for it but um because I'm like you know what? I just need to chill because my body is going to take care of me yeah how, you know and I just need to trust that and not like push 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 because I think being like I was always just so controlling um and like needing to like step back and realize like there's like I don't need to be so controlling about it yeah absolutely and I (laughs) I think that there's so many women who will listen to what you just said and feel that inspiration because it I think one of the most challenging parts is letting go of that control is canceling the spin class is staying home is just feeling giving yourself the space to feel comfortable in your body or uncomfortable and being okay with that and so that is just such a powerful testament and thank you so much for sharing and I I'm just really I'm grateful that yeah yeah thank you for like creating a space to like talk about that I feel like these things aren't talked about as much you know like or if they are they might be like in a caption that someone might scroll past or something (laughs) like that so it's like yeah there's like value and just like getting that out feels good like articulating that to myself like I don't think I've ever expressed that to myself in such a way Mm, yeah I yeah I love that I also want to ask you a few fun questions that touch on a lot of what you said and so I I'm really interested in hearing your answers do you want to get started I call this I call this the girl talk section okay okay um can you just briefly describe your morning routine um so definitely try to like drink water um I mean I have to like take a pill but uh drinking water stretching has been something that like is really important for me just like wiggling out in my bed or um I do a lot of like wall inversions Mm. so like you know putting my legs up against the wall and I actually have this really nice decal um on my wall that my dad got me like years ago and I know everything keeps coming back to my dad but it's like um 
now I'm forgetting what it says, but it's something about like uh, the joy of life is seeing the ones you love happy or something like that, you know? So it's like, I'm like inverting on my wall and like, you know, putting like, and then, um, then after that, um, I never feel like I have like a set morning routine, but I always need to like wash my face and like shower and Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, and if it's like a weekend, uh, I go to a spin class on Saturday and Sunday mornings two different uh, instructors, but they're ones I love. And I just love like starting my weekend days with like a really good sweaty spin class. Yeah. And I love that about you too, because I know that about you, that it's, Mm -hmm. it's really the instructor. It's not just this regimented class that you're going to. You really get inspired by who's leading the class and the energy. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important to note. Um, okay. If you were going to switch careers with guaranteed success and joy, what would you do? Oh man. Interior design. Yeah. I know that that's related, but I love like growing up. My favorite show was trading. Yes. I was hoping you would say that. (laughs) Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Who was your favorite? Genevieve. Ah, I love Genevieve. Yeah. My favorite yeah. was Lori, but I do, oh, I, I do love yeah. Genevieve too. Yeah, no, I, I love, I love Lori, and I also liked Frank for whatever reason. And I just always remember he had all of his different like patterned and colored Converse yes. sneakers. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I could go on. I know we'll have to do a separate episode <laughs> on trading spaces. Yeah. I was obsessed. Loved it. Yeah. So I feel like I, I just love like um like piecing things together like I I love uh decorating spaces like Mm -hmm. I just um when my brother moved out I turned his room into like my office and I love when people come in here and like they just really appreciate everything I've done in here because I just kind of like put it all together but yeah so I think yeah if I had known success and like yeah interior design. I'm so excited. I always say this, but I love that we record this too, because I think that it is so interesting for how it already weaves into your life and how it might manifest into your life as well too. (laughs) Okay. How do you define self-care? Self-care for me, I think like feeling like like creating a space or creating something that makes you feel like light and cozy and like just comfortable mm. if that um and if, and if you're think if you're curious about like methods of like my own self-care like um sure I don't know if you yeah so I like just like lighting a candle like I have one lit here um just like sometimes just turning off the light and just like listening to music, um, getting active, like with a spin class or something, or just like going for a long drive and just like letting time melt away for whatever, you know, yeah. and like just doing whatever I want, I guess. <laughs> I love that. Thanks for the suggestions too. I always feel like that's something that we talk about a lot, but when you go into your own self-care toolkit, it's like, wait, what, what do I, yeah. what does it mean to me? I, so I think it's important think, to identify. And and one more thing on that, like for me, like I know that self-care can be kind of like a trendy thing or whatever, but like, I don't like, like 
if I'm going to spend on self-care, I'm very intentional with it. But I think that there's so many things that you can do that literally don't cost anything. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I I honestly, I know it's your question, but I I think that self-care comes without a price tag, you know? Yeah, but it's, you know, it's worth, if someone wants to do something, you know, and, and splurge and like that, like, you know, a great spa day, a good facial, but it can literally be going to the town next over and like looking yeah. through a store or something like that. Well, and I think that that's so relevant in, in just addressing a little bit more because it is so true. And I think that that's one of the stigmas in our culture right now is that, well, in order to really have this relief and this release and just feel peaceful and at ease, I have to spend money doing that. And yeah, it's, it's comes from a, a like almost a privileged place like self-care does not need to be a privileged act absolutely because like if so then like the majority of the world would never be able to do that and I feel like a lot of you know not to get into you know everything but it's like happiness can come from the littlest thing so it doesn't need to be whatever you know looks good on to the world yeah it's like if if it's like I have I think I got rid of them but I had these like like Tinkerbell pajama pants that are like literally like so old but they're so comfy and it's like that's that's never you're you're probably never going to see that online I don't really care care about my online presence but like I have this like ratty pair of Tinkerbell pajama pants I love them and they feel good so I love that yeah and it you don't have to justify it to anybody either and that's yeah that's the best part about really defining what self-care means for you individually yeah okay what's one wellness trend that you wish would disappear oh my god I feel like I would need to know, like really know all of the wellness trends to be able to throw one away um yeah what's one that you're annoyed about right now I feel like the it's not it's I feel like it's like the constant and I know that I've been guilty about this but the constant documentation of everything relative Mm. to it I think there's definitely um like if someone gets a good recommendation or something but I think that um you know we all talk about presence and everything and like um, and I know that people need to do it for whatever sponsorships or whatever, but I think just not everything needs to be shared. Um, and like, honestly, like from a brand perspective, like they're probably not going to see your tag. And I, and I, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm like being hypocritical cause I've definitely, you know, tagged brands and all of that. But I think that, um, it's, well, yeah, I, I, social, I, I feel like the social media element of it, but I think, I don't know, it's a, it's a hard thing to talk about because I feel like I've built so many relationships and, and connected with people because of social media. But I think that, um, yeah, if you're, if you have to force yourself to do something, it doesn't feel right. And I feel like that, that actually, so if you're, it's good to try things, but do it if it's gonna, if it actually so it sounds like the thing that's pissing you off is like this forced uh forced perception yeah. of liking something and sending it out to the masses and just that inauthentic- 
inauthenticity. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you've ever seen, um, like, you've definitely seen a video where it's, like, all of the girls, like, pose for their Instagram, and they, like, as soon as the photo is over, they're back on their phones, or not even, they probably even throw out whatever they just took a picture of. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, I <laughs> think there's a lot of that right now, and I, yeah. I completely, uh, I, I understand so that, where yeah. you're coming from, totally. <laughs> Whether I've been guilty of it myself, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Do you have a signature dinner party dish? No, but I, I want to. I so want to. Um, I, I think this kind of, like, feeds from, like, growing up, like, we weren't really social because of, like, my family situation, so we didn't really do dinner parties. Like, literally, like, we didn't, like, do dinner parties or anything like that. Um, so I'm actually like hosting a girls night this weekend and, um, my mom for Christmas got me like three little, like it's a three set of three little crock pots. So like this weekend, I'm like teaching myself, I'm going to make three dips and get chips. Nice. Well, you'll have to report back then. Yes. So like, I'm hoping that I can figure out, like, I'm not bad at cooking. I just don't do it often. I'm much rather just pick up like something else. Perfect. What's one book or resource that changed your relationship with food or your body? Oh, man. I don't know. Um, I feel like... We can come back to it. Or if you think of something, you can tell me and we can put it in the show notes can I answer that in not relation to food or body sure okay so there's this book by Grace Bonney called in the company of women Mm. and it's like over 100 interviews with like um, female makers entrepreneurs and all of that and um, I went to the book tour for that and I like met her and she signed it and everything and it's a book full of um, just incredible women of all ages, shapes, sizes, backgrounds, like everything. And like reading through that, like it even like has like Lizzo from like 2011. Wow. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. And, um, and like, it just is such an empowering book because it's like these full, uh, full page photographs and like Grace interviewed all of these women over the span of like two months and she like she just grabbed a photographer and hit the road and it's so inspiring because I didn't know what most of these jobs were when I was a kid and I feel like it's like if I could gift my younger self not that in a way that it wouldn't change who I am today but like gift a, a young girl like this book and know that like all of this is out there like amazing because mm. there's like questions about like their life and you know like maybe unconventional questions and then like just inspirational quotes and just like also seeing there's the representation throughout this like literally everybody every everything I love that so that absolutely is related to food and body and all (laughs) those things I love I love that so much well and I think it's so funny because when we talk about food and our bodies we automatically go to like the very traditional linear 
um, thoughts of what that looks like. And yeah. this space and this conversation and this community, I, I just cannot say it enough. It goes so much it's farther really beyond yeah. the traditional idea of food and body. So thank you so yeah. much for plugging that in. Um, okay, what's the last TV series that you watched or one that you would recommend? Um, so right now I am watching Soundtrack on Ooh. Netflix and um, that's the last thing I watched. Uh, and basically it's different storylines like all blended together and there is some random da dancing and singing, but it's really interesting. Cool. Um, yeah, I Good. think Jenna, uh, Jenna Dewan is in it, like from Step Up. Or, like, okay. I, I don't know if she's part of it. Um, yeah, so that's the last thing I watched. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Good, good for all of the um, Friday night scrolling that we all face <laughs> yeah. on our couch. So, well, thank you so much, love. And I just, I love this conversation. I just appreciate you so much and your vulnerability and authenticity and truth. And thank you so much for sharing about some of these harder times in your life. Is there anything else that you want to leave with us before you go? Um, I don't, I think, well, thank you for just creating this space and like having these conversations in whichever way they're going to flow. Um, I think like if I could kind of offer something, maybe an actionable thing is just like keep an open mind, um, open eyes to like the world around you mm. and, you know, maybe think of a different lens that you could look at it through. Love that. Yeah. Thank you. Where can everybody find you? We'll, we'll plug everything into the show notes, but what are your, um, what are your handles? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, so uh, I feel like I really don't have like a platform or anything, but my Instagram is Jackie M like monkey R 23. Um, it's just like my initials. Um, and then in there I have tagged like my podcast Perfect. and ladies wine design and everything you can find from there. Awesome. So. Great. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Love you. And Love you. yeah, talk to you soon. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Matt Iski, our show manager, Shayla Anderson. If you want to stay connected to the Modern Girl community and learn more about our show guests, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, throw a five-star rating and review our way so that we can keep spreading the Modern Girl message with more women. And one last thing, don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of the new episode each week. I'm sending you so much love, wisdom, and strength. Talk to you soon.